Well, what's up, Grace Church? How you doing this morning? So glad to see you guys. So excited that you're here to worship with us. And this has been such an amazing series that we've been in, What Would Jesus Undo? We've been asking some powerful questions about what Jesus would undo if he were to step right into our lives and look at the way we live in 2019 in America, and what would he undo about the way we live as Christians, right? And so a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Aaron opened us up talking about how Jesus would undo hypocrisy. And then the next week, he would undo pride. And then last week, we had a powerful message from Pastor Nicole about how, how God wants our hearts back, right? How, how spiritual indifference needs to, needs to come to an end in our lives. And so again, can we just praise God for what's been happening in this series? Let's just give it up for the things that he's showing us and revealing to us. Uh, My name is Nick O'Brien. I'm the worship pastor here at Grace Church, and it is an honor to come and speak to you this morning. Um, I wanted to show you a picture of these are two of my cousins with my dad. Um, So several years ago, my two cousins at this time, they were three years old. They are twin boys, and they came and stayed with my family for for a couple of months. And so while they were here, um, we we had an amazing time. We had so much fun with them. They were so funny, so hilarious. And if you're a parent or maybe you have younger siblings or family members that are that age, you know that they can say some hilarious things, right? And so so here they are with my dad. And and one time they they were talking to each other, and they were having this deep philosophical conversations. Their minds were just blown because they were like, wait a second, is it our hair that keeps our brains inside of our head? And they're going back and forth trying to figure this out until one of them realizes the elephant in the room, and they look at my dad who shaves his head and they say, Dan, do you have any brains? (laughs) Or there was another time where we were sitting down for lunch and one of them was getting kind of bossy, and we had to keep telling him, like, you're not in charge, the adults are in charge, we get to tell you what to do, it's not the other way around. And so... Finally, he agrees to that, and he calms down a little bit, and we ask him, buddy, will you pray for this meal? And he obliges. He says yes, and and so we all bow our heads. We all close our eyes, and he goes, thank you, God, that I'm in charge. Amen. So they were hilarious. They were funny enough on their own, but my brother and I decided we wanted to take it one step further. So we decided we wanted to teach them, just give them a little intro course in how to prank. And so nothing crazy, nothing nothing weird, but, but what we would do is we would just say something kind of silly, something kind of ridiculous, and then we'd just yell, trick! And so that was just kind of a theme that we would do with them regularly. Well, after the first few months that they were with us, they went back home to be with their mom. And the end of that year rolled around, and Christmas time was coming up. And to our surprise, my brother and I, we got a little box in the mail um, from my cousin. I think we have a picture of that as well, addressed to, to me and my brother. And that was from our cousins. And, and we were like, well, they're three years old. What are they sending us? This is so cool. And so we weren't sure what it was, but Christmas morning rolls around. We take off the wrapping paper, and we find this. <laughs> we got owned. Um, so this morning... As, as we look at that picture and as we, as we see this empty gift that we received, I just can't help but wonder if as we sing our songs, as we, as we listen to the message, as we serve on our dream teams, as we spend time in fellowship with one another, as we greet one another and, and welcome new people, and as we do ministry, and, and as we live our lives for God, are we giving God the gift of our worship? Or are we simply wrapped with the illusion of worship, but if we were to dig deeper inside, we're, we're offering an empty gift? That's my question this morning, because the danger is that we can learn how to be so good at playing Christian that we can go through all the motions of worship, but our heart can be distant from God. 
I know I've been there, and I'm sure that you have too. So, so when this happens, unfortunately, we can begin to miss out on our purpose. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Why, if, if God is who he says he is, if God is who we believe that he is, that he's all-sufficient, he's all-powerful, he has everything, he's in need of nothing, why would a God like that need people like us? Why would he, why would he create us in the first place? In the beginning, God. Right? In the beginning, he's all that there is, but please don't misunderstand me. He's not lonely because he is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. He is unique in that he is three in one. So before there was space, matter, or time, there was Father, there was Son, there was Holy Spirit, existing as three, existing as one. And so he alone by himself is a community of love, of honor, and of grace, of mercy, of glory. Right? And so because he exists this way, because he's a community, I believe that God creates us not because he needs us, but God created us because that goodness was too much to keep to himself. He wanted to share that goodness, so he creates us in his image so we can also step into that community of glorifying God with perfect love, perfect unity, perfect community. And so we step into that. We step into praising him for how good he is. And if you don't believe me that this is our purpose, check this out from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, where God says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And so this theme or this thread is all throughout Scripture. If you, if you read the Bible from front to back, Old Testament to New, you'll see the glory of the King coming up over and over again because it's all about His presence. It's all about His power. It's all about His majesty. And it's all about what, what John the Baptist says when Jesus first begins His earthly ministry, that He must become greater and I must become less. So this means trading our glory for the glory of God, right? We begin to think less about ourselves and more about his power, his presence, his glory. And so my question this morning, as we ask, what would Jesus undo? My question for you this morning is, will you step into the purpose that you were created for? Would you pray with me, church? God, we lift you up. We honor you. We glorify you, God, and we pray that you will bring our hearts back to yourself. God, that you take our attention and our anxieties and our insecurities off of ourselves, but instead you just, you receive all the honor and all the glory from us, Lord. God, teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I gave my life to Christ at a young age. I was in elementary school, so I've been a Christian for most of my life. And, and as I started to get a little bit older and, and got into high school and youth group, I kind of started to realize that it, was, it always seems to be during the times of worship and music, whether it was at church or youth group or, or even at youth camps or conferences, it was always during the music that, that I felt like I connected with God the most. I felt like not only did my heart connect with him, but I also kind of would learn these new aspects and characteristics of God through the lyrics of these songs we were singing, through the powerful moments of worship during these times. And, and so over time, I started learning how to play instruments. I started, started diving deeper into this idea of worship because it was what really connected my heart to God. And so I stepped into worship ministry. I started pursuing becoming a worship pastor. But as I did that, I had to dive into that question of what is worship? Because it can't just be music. 
And, and honestly, there have been countless books written, countless sermons preached about this idea of what is worship, but, but I think we can simplify it a little bit this morning to what I just talked about, where, where worship is simply glorifying God, right? It's simply giving him the credit, the praise, and even the authority to do what he wants with our lives. And so living a life of worship means, my, my first point this morning is that we ask what honors God the most. This is a life of worship. But even as I dove into this, into, into studying what worship is, even as I worshiped God with all that I had, over time, it kind of becomes a routine a little bit. You just kind of do the same thing over and over again. And if I can be really honest with you this morning, it, it's not hard for me to get up on this stage on a regular Sunday morning, and my heart can be distant from God, but I can step up on this stage and lead worship and go through all the motions. And God can still show up. His spirit can still be here. He can still encounter you personally and powerfully, but it could be in spite of me. And I could stand up here and do all the right things and say all the right things, but not be feeling it, not be worshiping God for a single second. And my guess is that you can probably relate to that, that you've had those moments. If you call yourself a Christian, you've had those moments where you're going through the motions you're, you're doing and saying the right things, but inside something just doesn't feel right. You just don't feel connected to God. And, and especially during music, this, this makes so much sense because worship is so much more than that. It's not just singing songs, right? Otherwise our hearts would be connected every single time we sang, and that's just not the case. So it has to be more than that. Worship has to be about our hearts, something deeper. And this is, this is hard. This isn't always easy because this often means laying down our own desires, our own goals, and our own agendas so that we can worship and serve a God that we can't even see and we just have to blindly trust is working on our behalf, right? And so the good news this morning is this is not a new problem. This is not something that we're just encountering right now. This goes all the way back to, to nearly 3,000 years ago when the prophet Isaiah was alive, which was about 700 years before Christ, in his book, he, he's, he's the messenger, he's the prophet to, to God's chosen people in the nation of Judah. And so this was at a time when, when Judah was far from God. They were, they were worshiping other gods from surrounding nations. They were, they were mistreating their poor. They were, their religious leadership was corrupt. But even through that, they would still go through all the motions. They'd still bring the sacrifices and the offerings. They'd have the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbaths and the rituals. So Isaiah calls them out. God speaks through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And God speaks and says, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. So that's harsh, right? That stings. And the Israelites, the, the people at that time, seemed to be doing the right things. They were, they were still going through all the motions, but, but their hearts were distant, and God wants no part of it. And then this passage ends with a pretty shocking idea, a pretty shocking image where God is saying, like, how dare you lift your hands up to me in prayer after you've used those same hands to kill and to oppress, right? And maybe we can't quite relate to sin that drastic, but, 
But how about this one that we can probably all relate to? James chapter 3, verse 9. Sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Right? And how can that be? How can we one moment say, praise the name of the Lord our God, and then turn around and mock or make fun of or curse somebody made in his very image? But we do this all the time, and God wants no part of it. And so we've got to stop putting on a show. We've got to stop going through the motions. We've got to stop living differently in church than we do outside of this building. We have to get outside of the rut of hypocrisy that Pastor Aaron talked about a few weeks ago. We've got to get away from the spiritual indifference we talked about last week with Pastor Nicole. God wants our hearts back. He wants us. He wants our true hearts back. Because if we're honest, our hearts cannot be so prideful, so selfish, so foolish. And it's because we're running from the God who created us for him. And we're making it all about ourselves. So in ancient Israel, in ancient Judah, these sacrifices and these offerings, they were just that. They were sacrifices. They cost the people something. right? So they would bring their finest animal or their finest crop, and they would give it to the Lord to, to plead for forgiveness for their sins or, or even to remind themselves that God came first in their life and in their family and in their community. So if you're a business owner, I want you to imagine if you had to give up your most profitable product every single year, or maybe even your hardest working employee would leave your company every single year, these sacrifices would cost people something. Until as time went on, they stopped costing something. Because the people figured out how to just do enough to get by. How to bring just the leftovers that they weren't going to use anyway. How to do just enough to impress their neighbor, but not actually enough to cost them anything. And this sounds so familiar to me because I know that I do this, and I'm sure that you're in the same boat. Where we've learned, we've taught ourselves how to just get by, how to just do enough. And as I looked through the scriptures studying for this message, I found that this was a prevalent theme, that this, this scripture in Isaiah was not alone, but there are several scriptures that kind of go through this same theme. But before we, we're actually going to go through them pretty quick, but before we do that, I just want to talk for, for a quick second about the way that we read the Bible. Because if you're anything like me, when you come to a scripture that, that's maybe a little confusing or doesn't really make sense, if you're anything like me, you start asking the question, why? Why, why did God do that? Why did God respond that way? Why did God create things to be this way? But here's the problem. I don't even understand why you guys do the things you do. I don't understand why my wife does the things she does. And if I'm honest, I have no idea why I do what I do half the time. So if I can't even understand my own motivations, how can I be qualified to decide why God does what he does? Right? So asking the question why usually isn't the right way to read scripture. Usually we should be looking for patterns. Because the best way to de define what God does is by what God does at other times, right? The best way to define scripture is through scripture itself. And so when we read scripture, and as we, as we rattle through these verses pretty quickly here, let's look for patterns. Because asking why relies too much on our own understanding, but looking for patterns relies on the Bible itself. So keep Isaiah chapter, chapter 1 in mind. Keep in mind this idea of, I don't want your festivals. And I want you to see how this, how this comes out in, throughout scripture. Starting in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. 
Or how about Amos chapter 5, verse 23 and 24? Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And that's a tough one for me to read as a worship pastor, because if we're just standing up here making noise, then what's it all for? Right? There has to be justice. There has to be righteous living. But this isn't just in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament as well. In Mark chapter 12, we have a a teacher of religious law, somebody that has studied the scriptures, studied the Bible. We have a teacher that comes to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 33 and 34, he says, And I know it is important to love him, love God with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. And realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What a precious thing to have the Savior and creator of the world say over you, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice that he links these two things together. He links loving God with all his heart, mind, and understanding. He links that with loving his neighbor as himself. And he says, this is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So church, we've got to understand this before we go any further. This is transformational for us this morning. We cannot have worship without also loving our neighbors, loving justice, and living righteously. See, so often we have this misnomer where we think worship is just vertical. It's just us and God. But it's not. It overflows. If it's done right, it overflows to the way we treat and love the people that are around us. In fact, I'd even encourage you this week... Go and read the last 10 chapters of the book of John. And I want you to notice how as Jesus prepares to go to the cross, as he prepares to do the greatest thing that anyone has ever done to do a display of love for their neighbor, watch the way he talks about his father's glory. Because those two things cannot be separated. He's loving his neighbor by laying down his own life on the cross. And at the same time, he can't stop talking about his father's glory. Why? Because point number two, loving God and loving your neighbor are inseparably intertwined. They cannot be separated. These two things go together. And to be honest, this wasn't the direction I thought this message was going to go when I started writing it. I was going to talk about how important it is for us to, to come in here and to sing loudly and to be raising our hands or to be in prayer or to be clapping or dancing, but also to have, have somber and solemn moments where we're on our knees before God and, and how we should turn our attention away from ourselves and turn our attention back to God. And, and all of those things are, are so important and that would be an important message. But, but as I was reading through these scriptures and seeing this theme, I couldn't ignore it. And I felt that it was so clear that this was what I needed to share with you this morning. And so I actually want to go back to that that first scripture from the book of Isaiah. Because the first time I stopped it a little bit short. And I want you to see the way that that this passage ends. So again, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13. God says, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. 
So wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. And then listen closely here. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. And fight for the rights of the widows. Church, are you seeing the pattern this morning? See, this is, if we're honest, this is a part of of true and authentic worship that usually we overlook. Because again, we just try to make it vertical. But it's so clear from the Bible that our Christianity and our worship should be leading us to care for the oppressed, the marginalized, the broken, and the hurting. Listen, if I can be candid with you this morning, I'm just so tired of a Christianity that is known for what we stand against instead of what we stand for. I don't understand how how our Savior, how our leader, how Jesus Christ came and started a world revolution all about loving all people all the time, and instead we've become known for what we hate. How is that? Why is that? We have it backwards. See, Jesus would regularly spend his time with the despised, the hated, the tax collector and the prostitute, while while putting down and while, while correcting the religious leaders, those that looked like they had it all together. And those are the people that we praise while we scoff at the people that are marginalized. We scoff at the oppressed. We scoff at people that don't look or do things the way we do them, who don't believe the things that we do. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say we're leading a Christ-centered life, then we've got to live like Christ. We should be looking for those that are oppressed, those that are marginalized, those that are hurting, those that are orphaned and widowed. This is our calling. This is living like Christ. We should be listening when those people have something to say. And we should be stepping in, finding ways to help. We belong on the front lines, fighting for freedom, fighting for equality, for people of every race, every nationality and gender. Listen, we should be walking alongside the impoverished. We should be speaking up for the oppressed. And we should be welcoming the stranger and the person that doesn't look like we do. This isn't politics. This isn't policy. This isn't government. I don't care about Republican or Democrat, left or right. All I know is that God receives glory in the way that we love our neighbor. That's it. That's it. It's that simple. So here's another verse about sacrifices from the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Watch what God says. I want you to show love. That's it. Not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And then this is so cool because Jesus is actually going to reference this exact verse in the New Testament, and he's going to offer more commentary on it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Then he added, this is Jesus speaking, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And then he adds, For I have come to call Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Those are the people we look down on. But Jesus came for them. Jesus came to call them. And if we're honest, all of us have been that person. Maybe we are right now. And Jesus came for us. Jesus came for that person that we overlook. And so I hope the pattern from Scripture is clear this morning. God is not interested in the illusion of worship. God is desperate for our hearts. God is seeking worshipers who live right, who pursue justice, who love their worshipers. 
And most of all, God is looking, he's seeking worshipers who love him with everything that they have. We need to give our hearts back to God. Because Jesus came, not looking for those that think they are righteous, those that we would say have it all together. But he came for those whose hearts are broken, who feel worthless and can't figure out if their life is really even worth anything because they're not even able to look past their own mistakes, their own sins, their own failures. Psalm 56, verses 16 and 17, King David cries out, You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. No, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So could it be that God is no longer interested? God is not all about the religious mask you've been putting on. He's not interested in the, in the perfect Christian person you've been trying to be when you're here. What God is after is a heart that's seeking him with its flaws included, right? God knows we're not perfect. God knows we're broken. He understands that we've got to stop pretending. We've got to stop going through the motions. He wants us, the true us, the real us, to come before him with our brokenness, with our flaws. He can handle it. And in repentance, to come before him, to bow down and to give him our praise. Listen, I've, I've been here. I've been, I've been in this place there was a time in my life where I felt like God had forgotten about me, where I, I felt like I couldn't trust what he told me, where I felt like I wasn't sure if I, I even knew how to listen to him or, or, or if I even knew who he was or if he even knew who I was. And my heart was far from God. But the whole time I just kept going through the motions, right? I just kept, kept going to church and worshiping. And those are good things. You, you should come to church. You should keep worshiping even in the hard times but it should be authentic. Our hearts should be in it. But it wasn't in a church service. It wasn't at an event where this broke off of me. It was behind a closed door in my bedroom all by myself. And I got on my knees and I prayed the most authentic and heartfelt prayer I'd ever prayed. And I told God exactly what had been going on in my heart and in my mind. And my prayer didn't sound religious. It didn't sound righteous. It wasn't all the right words or the right phrases. But I was broken. I had a broken spirit, and I told God authentically and truly what was on my heart, and something broke off of me that day. Something changed that day, where I could trust God again, not because of my interpretation of him, but because of who he is. And I could trust God again, and I knew that he was with me. But I still go through. That's not going to happen, right? We, we live in a world with so many distractions that sometimes you're just not going to feel worshipful. So I would just encourage you, and I'm preaching to myself as well, in these moments, press on. Keep loving God with all you have. Keep sacrificially loving the people around you, and keep asking yourself, what is it that honors God most? I've just got one more scripture for you this morning, and then I'm finished because Jesus walks into a town in a country, Samaria, where a good Jewish person would never go because of the cultural shadow hanging over that place. And he steps into that town anyway, and he walks up to a woman who a good Jewish man would never speak to, never waste their time on, because not only was she a woman, which was looked down in that time in that society, but she was from Samaria, and she had committed a lot of sins that, that made her kind of the outcast of her city. But Jesus steps up to her and has an appointment with her. He, he has an agenda to, to get to her heart. 
And he comes to her and he has a conversation with her because he's not interested in, in what culture says. He's interested in loving the people that he came to die for. And so he, he comes to have this conversation with this woman in John chapter 4, and, and he brings up her past, which is the absolute last thing that she wants to talk about. And so she changes the subject. And then, like, like so many of us do, she tries to make worship into a place that we go. John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. See, she's missing it, right? Her, her eyes are fixed on a place when her heart should be set on a person. In verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Do you know what this means? The Father is looking for you. He's seeking your heart. He wants you as a true worshiper. He's seeking you, the real you, the authentic you, the you that has stepped into the very purpose you were created for in the first place. He's looking for you that has laid aside the baggage, the anxiety, the insecurity, the you that has laid aside the distractions from what happened this week, the you that has laid aside your shame from the things you've done before that he's already forgiven you for, but for some reason you're holding on to it for yourself. He's looking for the you that has looked past all of that, the true you, so that you can worship in truth. And he's looking for the you that's, that's not just focused on yourself, the you that's not just focused on what people around you think, but the you that's focused totally on him so that your spirit is aligned with his Holy Spirit. And in doing so, you worship him in spirit. This is what it looks like to worship in spirit and truth, that our hearts and our lives are his. We are, we're desperate for him. We're devoted to him. And we realize that he loves us so much, you. And he was willing to pay the highest price for that. And so I just want to challenge you, let's stop playing games. Let's stop going through the motions. Worship is not just coming to church. It's not a place or an event. Worship is not the music at the beginning of the service. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the way we need to live our lives. Worship is glorifying God in every season, in every moment, and all of it. Everything, everything we do asks the question, what honors God the most? This is everything. And so church, when we're at home, what honors God most? When we're with our families, what honors God most? When, when somebody in our family is doing something we don't like, what honors God most? When we're at church, what honors God most? When we're not at church, what honors God most? When we're at work, what honors God most? When our boss does something we don't like, or when, when our coworker is being irritating, what honors God most? When somebody posts something on social media that you don't like or you disagree with, what honors God most? When you're standing in line at the grocery store, what honors God most? 
No matter where you are, what honors God most? When you drive by the homeless person on the side of the road, what honors God most? When we interact with somebody with different opinions than we do, what honors God the most? When things are going great in our lives, what honors God most? But also when things are going terribly in our lives, what honors God most? This is the question we should be asking 24-7, 365 days a year. This is what it's all about. What honors God most? This is what we're here for. And if we're here for that, and if we step into that, and if we live that way, we're going to find fulfillment, we're going to find purpose, we're going to find the reason we're here makes sense, and we're going to find that in glorifying Him, we've forgotten about ourselves, but that's okay because that's how it was always meant to be. And we're no longer plagued by insecurity and anxiety because we're focused on Him and He has no flaws, He has no failures, and He created us in His image. And so we ask ourselves, what honors God most? And what honors God is that he wants our hearts, to give him our hearts back. He doesn't need our empty words. He wants our hearts, so we need to fall in love with him again. We don't need a show on the outside. We need surrender on the inside. We don't need hollow songs for God. We need full lives for God. And church, we don't need empty worship because we already have an empty tomb. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is alive, and this means that we cannot fail. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to worship Jesus with everything that we have because he is worthy. And because he died on that cross and because he rose again from that grave, that means that he came and he paid the highest price to find the real you. So would you step into that? Would you be the real you? Would you worship in spirit and truth and give him everything that you have to offer? We're just going to declare this morning that nothing else will do. We just want him. Come on, church, with everything that you have. Would you worship his name? Would you give him who you really are? And just give him your praise.